feel called and led by the Lord. This morning, I'm not preaching, and that's for an intentional reason. It's not just because I don't want to preach, because I love doing it. But this morning, we have a really, really great privilege of having somebody most of you all have had a chance to get to know and love, and that's Mark Henderson. Yeah, Mark! <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, um, as, as Mark prepares to pray, uh, to preach, I just ask that you pray over him. I know we don't normally pray twice in a row, but I just want to pray over him and ask for God to bless him and use him and to prepare our hearts as well. Father, I pray for Mark. Being up here is, um, it can be terrifying. It can be nerve-wracking, and but we are because of the very text that he's preaching, we're keenly aware of that we are unable to do in the hearts of ourselves and our people, God, what you desire. And so I just pray, Lord, that, that Mark would be a willing vessel, that you would calm any fears, that he would know that he is preaching to a congregation who deeply loves and respects him and that is excited to receive the word. God, would your word land in our hearts and in such a way that it grows. God, help us to support him. God, grow him, speak through him. Holy Spirit, would you be amongst us and work amongst us? In your name we pray, amen. Mark, it's all yours, bro. Thanks, Alan. Good morning, church, and thank you for such a a warm welcome. I kind of want to. I want to start off by sharing a little bit about myself, uh, some things I've been through in the past. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of start there. But back when I was around nine years old is is when I got saved. That's when I gave my life over to Christ and and trusted in Him for my salvation, and uh, I really fed Him speaking to my heart and, and where He uh, asked me to come follow Him. And uh, that's when he called me into a relationship with Jesus, and uh, I was followed up in, in baptism. Uh, as time went on, I enjoyed vacation Bible school. I enjoyed summer camps and Wednesday night with the youth. Uh, but sometime during high school, I found myself not spending as much time with God. I was... Uh, I was neglecting my relationship with him, and uh, my priorities were, were elsewhere. I started falling in love with the world and, and kind of falling out of love with God and, and falling out of love with Jesus. So there's a lot more to this story, but I want to get to the good part of that. About five and a half years ago, God started speaking to my heart once again, and he, he drew me away from that life. He cut some things out of my life, and I was able to return to following Jesus. Uh, he had healed me from something that had taken over my life, and, and I started working on my relationship with, with Jesus once again. So, uh, so what happened? What went wrong years ago when I stopped trusting in, in Jesus like I, I had before? Uh, looking back, there are many things that, there are many things that stick out in my mind, but one thing, the one thing that stuck out the most, and especially through preparing for today's message, was my failure to abide in Christ. After a period of time, I had neglected to put any effort into my, into my relationship with Jesus, and that's something we're going to look at today, this morning: abiding in Christ. 
Um, we've, we've been going through the I am statements uh, today, so we're finishing up on that today with I am the vine. Um, <clears throat> now, to, to understand a little the importance of what Jesus was saying, we, we need to look back at Exodus 3. God is giving Moses an assignment to help lead Israel out of Egypt. Uh, and Moses asked uh, a pretty good question. Exodus 3, starting verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So God says his name is I am. So when Jesus is making these I am statements, he is making a claim to deity. He is claiming to be God. And those around him would have understood that. They would, they would make that connection to what he was saying. So far, we've looked at six other I am statements, starting with I am the resurrection and the life. This is believing, allows us to believe in Jesus and that he gives us eternal life. Next statement was I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the true leader of the church. He will never abandon his sheep. I am the light of the world. Jesus claims that he has overcome darkness and as our source for salvation and hope. He illuminates the way we should live. I am the bread of life. Jesus satisfies our hunger and thirst, providing us with everlasting life. He, he fills a void that we would always have apart from him. Now we're going to look at John 15. That's the text we're going to be in today, where Jesus identifies himself as the true vine. Before I read the text, I want to look back a little bit what's going on leading up to this point. Starting in chapter 13 in John, it's, uh, it's Thursday night, and Jesus is, he will be crucified the next day. As Jesus and the twelve are having their evening meal in the upper room, Jesus continues teaching them. During this time, Jesus performs one of the humblest acts as their teacher. He washes the feet of his disciples. This was something usually done by the lowest servant of the household, not the teacher or priest, and especially not something the Messiah would have been expected to do. But Jesus did wash their feet, being an example to them of how they should treat one another and what it meant to be a true servant. He then began to hurt deeply by the thought of it, the thought of someone going to betray him and he reveals that someone is going to betray him very soon. We learn that that betrayer is, is Judas Iscariot and soon it, this is made known as soon as he reveals this Judas leaves the group and he leaves Jesus for good. Jesus continues to comfort his disciples is he is preparing them for his upcoming departure, preparing them for his crucifixion. This brings us to chapter 15. Here Jesus is speaking of the importance of a personal, spiritual, life-giving relationship 
he will have with his disciples. This is the type of a relationship we are to have with him as well. So in John chapter 15, starting in, starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So what is Jesus talking about here? What is the purpose of analogy of the vine? Well, vineyards were pretty common in Israel when Jesus was having this conversation with his disciples. Um, agriculture was a huge part of people's lives, and, and many of the illustrations that Jesus used uh, involved some type of farming. It was just a way of life back then. Because of this, the disciples would have a good understanding of, of what he was saying. A vineyard is a, a piece of land where grapevines are grown. These grapevines are plants that are grown to produce a fruit uh, called a grape. Grapes are then eaten. They can be eaten as food, or most likely then they were used to make wine. The simplest way to understand this plant is this. The vine grows out of the ground. Uh, it comes out of the dirt. And like most plants, it has roots that are attached to the ground. So it comes up. And off of the vine, as the vine grows upwards, it produces branches. So the branches go off in many directions. Uh, each branch on this plant, after a while, after some time, it produces fruit. It produces the grapes, the good stuff. What makes these branches produce the fruit is the nutrition that is provided by the vine. This vine produces, provides the life. It brings and provides life for the branches, resulting in the growth of the fruit. Without this vine, without this life attachment, the branch would not be able to produce any fruit. It would not be able to live. There's also something that happens in a vineyard. Um, someone is there looking after it. Someone is there caring for it. The gardener or the vine dresser is there investing in these plants, making sure they are at their peak performance. 
The branches need to be trimmed back, need to be cut and shaped in a way that is most beneficial to producing fruit. The vine dresser, the gardener, he is there pruning, cutting away any growth that is undesirable in order to produce more long-term growth in the vine. Jesus uses this analogy of the relationship between the vine and its branches to teach his disciples and to teach us of our relationship we are to have with him. We also see how God is the caregiver, shaping us and pruning us to be more fruitful so that Jesus may be seen in us. Being united with Jesus brings life, and that life is made known by our fruit. We'll kind of work through the text here. I am the vine, and my father, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Here we see God is the gardener, the vine dresser, and Jesus claims to be the vine. Not only does he claim to be the vine here, but he, he's the true vine. This is because in the Old Testament, Israel was often referred to as the vine or the vineyard, one God had established during that time, but the vines were unfruitful. This can be found in Isaiah 5 and is also talked about in Psalm 80. God had chosen Israel to represent him to the world, and it is through Israel that a connection to God could be made. As Israel was a temporary vine, Jesus was now claiming his rightful role as the true vine, one that had been established from the beginning. There are two types of branches that Jesus talks about here. One that produces fruit and one that does not. Both are connected to the vine. Those that don't produce fruit are removed by the Father. They're cut off. The branch that does produce fruit, the Father prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The two types of branches represent a true disciple and a false disciple. A true follower of Christ and one that is not. Now I think it's, uh, it's important to look back at what happened to Judas earlier this evening. Judas made the decision that he was going to betray Jesus. Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He followed Jesus around and looked just like the other 11. But Judas was not a true disciple. He was a false disciple. Judas did not possess life-saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If he did, he would never have left. Jesus did not lose his salvation. That is not what happened here. He never had it. He had never been born again to begin with. True salvation cannot be lost. But Judas had a superficial attachment to Jesus. He never experienced the spiritual growth that Jesus had to offer. And I hate to say it today, but there are people in today's church that think they're attached to, to Jesus in, in a saving way. They think they're right with God, but they're actually not. They have an attachment to Jesus that resembles that of Judas. They're going through the motions but have no relationship with Jesus. But now let's look at the, the, the other branch. Let's look at the fruit-bearing branch for a minute. The branch that the Father prunes. 
He trims away the bad. He trims away the excess and excess, and then he makes room for, the, for new growth. New growth that reflects his goodness. And sometimes he trims away good stuff in our life that makes us even more fruitful. How does this pruning occur in the life of a true disciple? What does this look like? Um, one of the first things that came to my mind was, was God can and prune us through different situations, um, through, through different events in our lives. God can use the situation we're in or events in our lives to shape us and mold us and to create in us the good things that reflect Jesus. Uh, James talks about this in, in the book of James chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. So God can use these circumstances to, to help us grow in our faith in him. Uh, God also, he also prunes us with his word. As we read through God's word, the spirit speaks to us and changes us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God cuts like a sword. It brings, it brings upon us conviction and causes change in our sinful hearts. This happens when we abide in Jesus and try to grow near to him. Imagine the gardener standing at the branch, looking at it, examining it closely. He knows exactly what needs to be cut away to make it flourish and grow. He is trained, he is experienced, and he has been doing this a long time. He is investing in this branch because he cares for it. He has a love and passion for this, this branch. He has a love and passion for us. Um, N.T. Wright, a quote from him, he, he puts it in a, in a pretty good way. N.T. Wright says, The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has his knife in hand. It's when we can see God caring for us when we go through these hard times and, and when he's pruning us. Jesus continues in verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus is describing the relationship between he and the disciples, between himself and us. He starts off, verse 4, 
with the Greek word minnow. This word translates to remain. It also translates to the word abide. From verse 4 through verse 11, this word is used 11 times. So what does this mean? What does that word mean? Well, remain is a verb and is used to describe an action. Jesus is trying to make a point here. Remain. The definition of remain, according to a Google search, is continue to exist, especially after other similar or related people or things have ceased to exist. Or stay in the place that, has, that, that one has been occupying. And abide means accept or act in accordance with a rule, decision, or recommendation. Jesus is making a recommendation here. He's, he's, he's making a rule. He's telling us we need to do something. Don't leave. Stay. Remain connected to Christ. Because remember, apart from him, we can do nothing. Um, imagine, imagine a baby in a mother's womb, how they're connected by an umbilical cord. Through this connection... The baby is supplied with, with life-sustaining nutrients. It's supplied with life. Uh, without it, the baby would not survive. Kind of similar to this in the same way, we, are to we need to remain connected to Jesus. Uh, the true vine supplies true life. The evidence of this connection of abiding in Jesus is the bearing of fruit. The good things in our lives is a result of Jesus. Jesus makes it clear that we must remain attached to him if we, are, if we expect to become more like him and less like ourselves. Did you know that the, without the vine, the branch is useless? There is no way under its own power that the branch could produce any fruit. Only through the connection of the vine does the branch produce fruit. The fruit that is manifested through us is the result of Jesus Christ himself. It is his goodness that pours out of us for others to see when we abide in him. It is not us that others see, but Jesus living through us. Any fruit that we might bear is the sole work of Jesus. He receives 100% of this credit, not us, because apart from him, we can do nothing. So let's take a look at what some of this fruit might look like. Um, we'll go to Galatians chapter 5 for that, and Paul gives a description of, of what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like I say, Paul calls this the fruit of the Spirit. This is something that is provided by the Spirit. And that's because this is, uh, these are characteristics of Jesus. Things that describe him. They don't necessarily describe us. Apart from Christ, these things do not describe me. They don't describe Mark. But the words that, that 
could describe me or do describe me, what I'm capable of becoming, what I'm capable of representing if I were not abiding in Jesus is found in verse 19 just before that. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the fruit I would be capable of producing on my own. This is what the flesh apart from Christ is capable of producing. These are characteristics of someone not abiding in Christ. But because I abide in Christ, I am set free from the desires of those sins. Those things no longer describe me. It is the fruit of the Spirit that is now visible because it is Jesus who lives in us and through us. Paul follows up with this, this powerful statement in Galatians 20, 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live, in, live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Back to John, continuing in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will, be give, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you can keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept the father, my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus tells us in verse 7 that whatever we ask for will be done for us. And this can be taken out of context, especially if we exclude the first part of the verse which states, if you remain or abide in me. This is the key phrase, remain in me, abide in me. God is not going to just grant you everything you ask for. I've tried it. I'm sure y'all have probably tried it. Um, but we've all asked God for things and not received them. But when we are intimately connected to Jesus in a personal way, we will ask for things that reflect his desire for our lives, things that align with God's will for us, things that complement the spirit in us and not the things the flesh desires. So I got another quote here by Adrian Rogers. He, he, he says it pretty well. Make his wants your wants, then ask what you want. Make his wants your wants, then ask what you want. So if we're abiding in Christ and his wants become our wants and our desires, that's the things we'll ask for and that's the things he will give us.
As we bear fruit in God, it is God who receives the glory. It is not us bringing God to glory, but it is Jesus who works in us. It is what Jesus is doing through us that brings God the glory. It is the Son who glorifies the God, the Father. This fruit will be evidence of our genuine relationship with Jesus as his disciples. That's what the fruit is, evidence that we are his true disciples. Now the command Jesus gives here, it's not to go bear fruit. Only he can bear the fruit. It is because of the vine that the fruit is produced in the branches. The command that Jesus is giving here to his disciples and to us is to abide in him. We are to continuously remain in his love. Be continuously attached to him in all that we do. So as we get, get close to finishing up here, we're going to look at the last verse, verse 11. Um, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The joy Jesus has to offer us and the joy he is referring to here is the result of remaining in his love. It comes from being continuously connected to him. This is not some temporary joy the world has to offer. This joy is a permanent and everlasting joy. The joy you get because you know you are right with God. Well, maybe you have a question. What does it mean to be a part of the vine? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? Well, Jesus says we must repent and believe, turn away from our sins and turn towards him. Turn away from the desires and follow him. But what if, what if you're sitting there today uh, and you're say, you say you're a believer and that you trust in Jesus, but you're not experiencing any fruit being produced in your life right now. I don't see see the benefits of this. I'm not seeing any fruit produced. You love Jesus, but feel like you're bogged down in the mud or you're treading water and, and, and not moving forward in your walk with Christ. That does not mean you have lost your salvation. That does not mean you're going to be cut off from the vine. But it does mean something needs to change. You need to take a look at your relationship with Jesus and see what's going on. What's going on in my relationship with him? Why, why am I not seeing any fruit? Um, a little quick story here. The other day, um, I'd been outside working, and with all this rain we've been getting, it's, uh, there's a lot of mud out there. It's pretty muddy. So I thought before I went into the house it would be a good idea to uh, wash my boots off, you know, clean, clean, my, clean my boots off so I wouldn't track mud everywhere. But. So I went over to the water hose and, and turned on the spigot and I grabbed the nozzle from the other end of the hose and I, I went to wash my boots off and I squeezed it 
and only got a little short stream come out, a little bitty small stream that, that wasn't very helpful. It was real weak. Um, well, I got to looking around at the hose, and it looked like a big old pile of spaghetti laying there on the ground. It was a, it was a mess. It had been neglected and left, left in a big mess. So I worked through the hose laying there uh, for a few minutes, and I found the problem. Well, it had a kink in it. There was a kink in that hose, and it was, uh, actually there was a couple in there, but uh, and it was restricting the flow of water that I was needing to complete my task to wash my boots off. So I removed the kinks and got a good, powerful flow of water, and I got my shoes washed off, thank goodness. Um, so maybe, maybe there's a reason you're not seeing any fruit in your life. Maybe because there's something disrupting your connection with Jesus. Maybe you have a, a kink in your hose today. Maybe somewhere in your relationship with Christ there's a kink. There's a, maybe there's an unconfessed sin in your life that needs to be brought into the light and dealt with. Ask God to reveal that sin that is interfering with your relationship with Jesus so that you can repent and turn away from that and work on your relationship and getting closer and better connected to, to Jesus. Now looking back when, the, when Jesus was there washing the disciples' feet, um, once he had convinced Peter that, that he was going to wash his feet, uh, Peter decided he wanted his whole body washed. But Jesus said, no, Peter, you just need to wash your feet. I just need to wash your feet. He told Peter that his whole body was clean already. And it was clean because he had believed in Jesus and put his uh, trust in him. But he did say, you still need to wash your feet. See, as Christians, our whole body is clean because of Jesus. Once we come into that relationship with him, we're no longer guilty of those sins. We're no longer in need of our whole body being cleansed. He has cleansed it. But we still have sin in our life, and we are still in need of, of our feet being washed from time to time. If you're anything like me, I need to, to wash my feet every day uh, with repentance, a daily repentance from things, from sin that happens in my life. You know, as we leave here today, it's my hope that you'll see the importance of abiding in Christ and the joy that comes from that and the importance of that relationship with him. Um, so as we come to a time of response, um, as we come to sing this next song, I want to encourage you not to worry about what the person next to you thinks of, of in your mind what you think they're believing about your, your ability to sing. I want you to sing out to a, to a loving Father and a loving Jesus and, and focus on Him when you're singing. Sing aloud to our Lord and Savior. Sing aloud to Jesus our King. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess His name. Sing out to Jesus. And let the fruits of the lip bring glory to him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for what you're doing in each and every one of our lives.
Lord, it is my prayer that anyone here today that does not know you, that, that you just call them into a, a loving relationship with you. And I hope the words that were spoken today to give meaning to that relationship that we're supposed to have with you, Lord. And if there's any believers here today that, that are struggling with their relationship with you, that you will help them work out the, the kinks that, that may be in that relationship and restore that life-giving flow of goodness that you have to offer us, Lord. I just thank you for, for loving us and caring for us. And I pray these things in your son's sweet name. Amen.